Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Let's give uh, some thanks to our wonderful worship team serving us today. Thank you, team. Love you guys in the booth as well. We had some people out sick, so people filling in for others last minute. That's always a big deal. We're just grateful to you guys. How many here have enjoyed uh, the historic snowfall that we've had in Tennessee recently? Anybody? Very low level of joy in the snow <laughs> that God has blessed us with. It's, um, it's like child's play snow to me because I lived in Pennsylvania for a number of years on a mountain in Pennsylvania. So I experienced like a manly level of snow. I don't know what you guys call this here in Tennessee, but I did grow up in Virginia Beach. Virginia was similar. If you got an inch of snow, everything shuts down. California, when I lived there, and we have a bunch of Arizona people and all that, they're even worse than Tennessee people with snow, like just unequipped to handle anything because they never get it. But I hope you had some fun with it. We had a lot of fun uh, sledding and doing snowball fights. And last Sunday, we didn't even meet in person because we had that storm on Sunday morning. How many of you guys got to hop on Facebook Live with us just out of curiosity? That was fun, right? We, you know, the pandemic kind of made all of us kind of used to slash expect online church. So it used to be if you ever had to cancel a Sunday because of weather, you just don't do anything. But now it's in all of our minds, oh, there's going to be something, right? I mean, we can do online church. So I talked to Jess, and we didn't want to drive here either in the middle of the storm, so we just did this little thing from our living room. We brought home some light, not these big ones, but we have like some other kind of like uh, staging type lights from the church. We set it up in our living room. It forced us to clean our living room. Can I get a witness from anybody? That's like the greatest part of this kind of stuff. Like invite someone over and you're finally gonna get your house clean. Similar, do a Facebook Live with the entire church and you're gonna clean up your living room. No joke, our Christmas tree was still up and we just slid it into the foyer so it wasn't in the shot. I'm not kidding. That whole Facebook Live, the Christmas tree was right over there. And now, because of the snow, we took the ornaments off, but the tree is still up because Jessica, and I don't mind, she was like, it's still, it's snowing. Let's just enjoy this, the afterglow of Christmas. So, we're those people. It was fun uh, to get to sing some songs on that Facebook Live and do some worship. I wanted to mention just real quick, before I get in the message, um, we are praying about some more worship leaders uh, in general in the life of our church, but also specifically our Celebrate Recovery ministry on Wednesday nights as an incredible, incredible ministry. Uh, and if you're a worship leader and you're praying about some places to uh, grow and learn and be a part of the team there, uh, talk to Heather Houlet, who just did scripture reading and prayer, and then Steve and her husband is uh, at the sound booth today. There are recovery ministers, and they could chat with you about that. We're also expanding uh, all the ministries here, so it's a great time to join a team. This past week also, uh, on a more sobering note, I got to go to, and a number of our longtime members, a celebration of life for Frank Andrews who's a longtime member here at Graceland Church. Uh, he hasn't attended on Sundays recently for about the last year and a half, but he's been a part of our seniors ministry. And uh, my wife and I and others in our church have been in loving relationship with him. This is him right here. He actually created uh, years ago, before uh, my family and I were here, one of their prayers that they felt like God really put on their heart was to pray for and by faith thank God for 100 families that would be here at Graceland Church. Uh, and so they... Frank actually created this as a prayer altar and engraved on it, thanking God for 100 families. And it's a great reminder to me and all of us that we stand on the shoulders of those that have gone before us. 
We're on their sacrifice. We're on their obedience. We're on their life. And yeah, it deserves a hand. Let's thank God for our longtime members here at Graceland Church. Frank uh, was, I believe, uh, born and raised right here in Franklin, like back when Franklin was a lot different and he was in his 80s. So he's experienced probably more change in the area than any else, any, uh, any of the rest of us in this room. But it's amazing now at the stage we're at in the life of our church, um, it's a little bit hard to fully count exactly what 100 families means, but we're, we're right around there now thanks to their prayers and their faith and their sacrifice. And God will, uh, Lord willing, continue to bless and grow the church here. Uh, we also, um, I, lost is the wrong word, but uh, one of our other beloved members, Carol uh, Turnquist. I mentioned it last week on the Facebook Live, but I wanted to mention it here in person. Uh, still an active part of our church family, uh, survived by her beloved Jim Bozeman, who's, I believe, in here somewhere. It, he's right here, Jim, um, and who's, of course, grieving. I sat with Jim, if you don't mind me saying, in, in his hospital room. He was in the hospital at the same time, on the, uh, the same floor, um, both with uh, hers COVID pneumonia. I don't know if you ever got pneumonia. You did, both COVID pneumonia. I sat with him in his hospital room for, for quite a while, just a few hours after we got the news about Carol. She had went home to be, be with Jesus the night before. Thankfully, um, Jim is better and recovered, uh, but deeply grieving the loss of Carol. And of course, her, her children, her grandkids, um, if you knew her or even if you just encountered her, on Sundays here at Graceland, she was a blessing to you. She was that kind of person, just warm, gracious, always. She was also a professional and highly gifted uh, pianist and song arranger. She did arrangements for music. If you, if you Google, her, Google her name, you'll see hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of professional music arrangements that she did that went all over the globe uh, for the biggest artists that are out there. And she would every once in a while bless us with a piano offertory piece, just incredible. And there's no doubt uh, that her arrangements will continue to be heard in heaven in eternity. I believe that. Um, her celebration of life is coming up this week. Um, I'll be there officiating. It is at noon on Wednesday. All the details are on our social media or our email. If you need that, you can uh, find me as well. We want to pray uh, for a number of others in our church. You guys know how this, um, and I, I don't want to give this too much airtime, but it's just a reality. You know how this variant has kind of swept through a lot of people because it's been more contagious. And the reality is we have a lot of people, especially seniors, hospitalized with COVID pneumonia. And we don't live in fear of that, but we acknowledge it and we pray for them and we ask for wholeness and healing. And we have some right now, um, not just people in our church, but you know, friends and family and parents and grandparents of church members. Um, let's pray uh, before I share this message. Lord, we thank you um, for your faithfulness. And we thank you that um, in life and in death, you're our healer. We believe that, and we believe as followers of Jesus, our healing is ultimately guaranteed in eternity, new body, new life, new heavens, new earth. Um, you don't always heal us on this side. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. We don't fully understand, but we trust you, and we grieve, but we don't grieve as those with no hope. We know that Carol and Frank are alive in your presence, uh, more alive than they've probably ever felt in their life, and we celebrate that even as we grieve. We pray for those that are suffering now and fighting for their lives. Uh, I think of Pastor Manuel Ramos, a friend of our church, uh, Pastor Vanji's brother. I think of the, the friend of the Collins family, Aaron. I think of Ted Beck's mother, Margie, and 
uh, all at various stages, and I'm, I'm not even able to name everyone, but we pray for uh, the healing touch of the blood of Jesus on their body right now. We also pray for peace uh, to be in their rooms and among their families, and uh, we just ask for your nearness to be felt. And I know when, when Jim and I sat in that hospital room uh, around death and uh, amidst suffering, we also recognized this is, a, this is holy ground. And this is a place of, of worship and trust and uh, belief and faith in the living God. So we pray that uh, for each of them right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Pastor Rob Rates, who's on our team, uh, who's not here in person right now, oversees our pastoral care team. Um, if you have any prayer requests, if you would like to be more in the loop with any of this that's happening, be a part of that team, um, you can just let me know. You can let him know. Email us at hello at Graceland Church. It's one of the most um, beautiful and sometimes challenging ministries and most important ministries of the church is just the ministry of presence. And that means you are with people when they suffer. You're just with them. And by the way, pro tip for any of you that have friends and family that are suffering, don't worry about what you have to say or not say. Just be with them. It's better to just be there in their presence. And it is the ministry of presence. You guys tracking with me on that? Same goes for neighbors, people that aren't family. Get over the fear of it and just sit with people. It can be as simple as that. I am like, I have to get over the nerves uh, and the, um, the insecurity of what to say in moments like that or, or even wanting to be there like any normal human. But I'm encouraging you as the body of Christ to fight through that and be with people while they suffer, all right? Um, one of the things I love about that generation, uh, we'll, we'll call them boomers, we got some boomers in the house today. Um, the young people like to say, okay, boomer, all the time. I don't say that because <clears throat> I love boomers. But uh, one of the things I love about the boomer generation is they tend to be more willing to speak the truth in love. Have you noticed that? It wasn't the boomers that created participation trophies. Let's put it that way, right? The boomers are more likely to be like, eh, you lost, you don't get a trophy my beloved granddaughter. <laughs> nice try. Work harder, and you might get one next year. I like that about that generation. It was my generation that created the participation trophy, and I think a lot of times we're, we're, we can be hurting these kids more than we're helping them at times. I'm not trying to culturally comment on that too much, but I do know this. I do know this to be true. The people who love us the most are the ones who are willing to be the most truthful with us, and I would even go so far as to say this. It is your job to actively put people in your life that are truth tellers. Keep them there and give them the space to speak the truth into your life. It's easy to amen the truth in places like this, but it's hard to swallow the truth when we just don't wanna hear it. And that's when we need those people in our lives as truth tellers. And Jesus is this in our life. And I wanna share a message with you today as we get back into the study of the Gospel of John called Compassion and Caution. And Jesus is full of mercy and grace, and he's full of truth, and he speaks the truth in love to us, and we're going to learn about that in this story. John 5, you can turn there now if you want, or it'll be on screen, verses 1 through 15, and we'll learn some principles here, and I'm praying that God will speak to your heart and mine as well. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, in which, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. 
Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or, someone, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So a bit of context, uh, if you're reading along with your own Bible, and depending on your translation, you might have noticed that there, right around verse 4, you might have read a verse that I didn't read, and I just wanted to explain that because part of going through a book of the Bible is just teaching moments to help us answer questions. So there is a verse 4 that's excluded from newer translations because they found out that there was this line that's, well, historically, there was a line that said there was an angel that would come and stir the pool called Bethesda. And every time the angel would stir the pool, it would be whoever would kind of get to the water first would be healed. Do you guys remember reading that? So in, in almost all modern translations now, the same ones that we've been reading forever, they're updated versions, they've removed that because they have found out that in the oldest manuscripts that we really base the authority of Scripture on, that verse was not included. And so this will be explained if you Google it or search online or read some commentaries. And scholars and historians mostly agree that they think a few hundred years after all of this happened, they kind of added this as an explanation for why they thought the pool would heal people, and they kind of think it was a local legend. That's what most scholars believe. Whether there was an angel there or not that stirred the water is irrelevant to the point of what we're going to look at in the text today, but I wanted you to know why it's there in some and not there in others. The point to take away as we're starting is Jesus knew that he was going to a place where people would sit who needed to be healed. And it brings up this first point about Jesus that I just wanted to sit with for a minute, and it's this. Jesus is a compassionate healer, period. I don't know about you, but the more I live, the more I am so very thankful that we have a God, a king, a creator, who when he sees us suffering, broken, in need, has compassion. Think of it. Even when we're there based on our own choices, he is a compassionate healer. And I just wanted to rest here for a minute because if you are in a place in life, which probably most of us are, where you worry about, man, if anyone really saw all this mess, if anyone really got into the nooks and crannies of my little heart and what I'm thinking and everything that's going on in my mind, 
I'm afraid they wouldn't show me compassion. But here we have the living God, the holy one, the perfect one, who leads by being a compassionate healer. And I'm praying that that will provide hope for you today. If you need compassion, look to the compassionate healer. I'm also thankful that a lot of times that compassionate healer is made known to me tangibly through people in my life. So it's not just in prayer times, just between me and God. Currently, one of the people that most represents the compassionate healer to me and offers this, the, the very compassion of Jesus comes to me through my wife because she sees everything about me. Can you wives say amen? amen? Who's sitting next to their husband and wants to be like, yeah, we need some compassion? Anybody? You're being really quiet. Man, when my wife sees and knows the reality and brokenness of me, right? Me just as I am a man that is made from the dirt that's nothing before God apart from him. She consistently, she's not perfect in this, but her ultimate end is she shows me compassion. And that is her being Jesus with skin on to me. And I say it to you because it might not be a spouse. It, might, it could be someone here. But part of the reason to stay connected to church family and, and integrate your life with the people of God is that is where you will find compassion because Jesus is the compassionate healer. Now, in the middle of this compassion, it's fascinating to notice what Jesus said to this disabled man who's been on the mat for 38 years. Jesus goes up to him and says, do you want to get well? Now, think about the context here. First of all, the guy is sitting there at the pool where everyone sits that wants to get healed. Secondly, the guy's been on the mat for 38 years. It's almost an offensive question. I'd be like, yeah, of course. Why would I be here? I had to crawl here. This is, you're insulting me. You know what I mean? But Jesus says, do you want to get well? Because he knows that part of our human nature is to become comfortable in our misery especially when that misery is something we feel like we have no choice about because eventually we just have to settle into it and it's bad, but at least it's familiar. A lot of times we end up more afraid to enter into change and wholeness than just staying in the difficulty. This is not something we should feel bad about, but it is human nature. And it's not just about physical disabilities. I would submit to you that there are potentially things in your life, ways of thinking, certain sins, broken relationships, things that are unwell, that are not representative of the wholeness that God has called you to, that perhaps you have sat with for decades. And eventually we just lose hope that it could be any different. And part of my prayer is that today you might find deep down in there hope for some of those hopeless Areas. And that's what's going on here. Look at what William Barclay, the scholar, says. The first essential step toward receiving the power of Jesus is to have the desire for it. If within our inmost hearts we are content to stay as we are, there can be no change for us. So I want to just ask you, number two in your notes, do you want to be whole? And are you willing to change in order to be whole? I mentioned my wife earlier, and I didn't actually get her permission to share this, but she won't mind, I don't think. She's up with the kids. <laughs> I already shared it in first service, so the, the grave is half dug, and I might as well, just like all the way. 
<laughs> just kidding. It's, it's not a... So we've been married about almost 15 years now. And for some of you guys, you hear 15 years, and you're like, that's child's play, little boy. You're barely getting started. Other of you got, because you've been married 50, 60. We have people married 60 years in the house right now. Amazing. And so 15 years, I mean, like, we barely, we basically just said I do. And uh, others of you, that sounds like an eternity. And it, it is a long time. It's been enough time to have had seasons with my wife in our marriage where things were not well and things were unhealthy, not everything, but unhealthy enough that if it keeps going that direction, it's gonna be a real problem. And we've had to get really honest with each other and have those conversations we don't want to have more than once in seasons of our marriage. Can married people attest? (laughs) We just had one this past month. We're currently in it and it's, I don't want to make you like wonder about, oh, what's wrong with Pastor Nathan and Jessica? What did Nathan do? And all that kind of stuff. But <laughs> it's, don't, don't let your mind wander too far. It, but, but you know, it doesn't have to be those big, major, obvious things that we always think about that destroy marriages. It, it's the little like things that if we don't pay attention to them, they, th- those little tears, right? They were like, oh, I'm just going to live with this. And then 10 years goes by. You know, a lot of people say after, after couples um, end marriages is it was, it was the spite in the core of it that developed so deeply that they just couldn't get around. They just had, they, they despised each other by the end of it. And Jess and I thankfully like aren't, aren't there, but we've had, we had to hit something this past month and here's how it went down. We were, we were gonna lay in bed and just fall asleep watching something funny because we had a long day and I can't remember what it was. It might've been The Office. That's our favorite show. And we were just gonna laugh and all of a sudden she initiated with me, hey, we need to talk about something. And I was like, okay. And, and it's like, I preach a good game. I'm always like, yeah, repent, talk about it, be honest. But when it really comes down to it, when it's like the really heavy stuff in your own life, you don't want to talk about it, right? And I, it's, it's a little bit stereotypical of guys, but I'm right there with you. I'm like, okay, all right, now we're in it. And she just like opened it up. I was like, okay, we're here. And we talked for like two hours instead of watching The Office. And it was absolutely essential. And here's my point in sharing all this. Um, I'm always reminded in those kinds of moments that God is essentially, as the compassionate healer, graciously saying to me again, Nathan, do you want to be well? Do you want your marriage to be well? And I have to answer it every time. And, those, and if you say yes, you've got to be willing to the, hit the changes. Talk, talk about the hard stuff. And we've, in some of those seasons, we've gone and seen uh, marriage and family therapists, and we, we haven't done that this time, but we might. Again, I don't want you to worry too much. Actually, the conversation was so beautiful and helpful. It's what you can call, like, when you're not talking about something, then you do, it's a breakthrough, right? And when you do it in a healthy way, and I'm so thankful that it happens. But the reason is I want to encourage you to be honest with yourself about what's your response to Jesus today. Do you want to be well? And do you want your marriage to be well? Do you want your kids to be well? Do you want how you approach your work to be well? Do you want to be mentally well, spiritually well, emotionally well? Those are all hard things to answer. And I believe this is the wisdom of God to ask someone who's laying. I mean, here we are. We're in a place where we're trying to get well, but Jesus still has to come say, do you really want to get well? And that's exactly what he's doing with this uh, disabled gentleman. In verse seven, we see the response. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get it, and someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, on one hand, we could look at that and be like, he's doing what we all do, make excuses. 
right? And, and then, by the way, if your spouse goes into the big conversation with you, don't start rattling off. That that's what we gotta try not to do. But his, his excuses seem very valid. The guy cannot walk. No one will help him get into the pool. He thinks that's gonna be his healing. People keep getting in before him. In other words, he thinks this is a situation that has become impossible in his life. This is a place where I no longer really even have hope. It's been 38 years. This is an impossibility. And again, you may feel like that about the areas where you are disabled. We're at towards the end of January now, and I know from pastoring for 20 years that the end of January can be one of the most discouraging seasons of the year for many people because they realize that they have completely broken everything they hoped to be different in the new year, and it's only been the first month, right? You set the new plan, you make the resolution, you have hope, whatever you wanna call it. Whenever we go into a new year, we're thinking, yes, let's go. And by the end of the January, we realize, oh, we're still just us, right? Here we are again. And I don't say that in a, a hopeless sense, but I'm always pastoring people through this. And there might be people sitting here right now that you're already sensing yourself stuck back in the same patterns that you were hoping to change again. This guy was in the pattern for 38 years. So even if you feel for almost four decades that it's hopeless, it's still not. The compassionate healer still sees you. The compassionate healer still cares. The compassionate healer still asks you, do you want to get well? So this guy gives his reasons to Jesus. In verse eight, Jesus says to him, get up. What a crazy thing to say to someone who can't walk. Again, kind of offensive. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. <laughs> Amazing story. We see when we study all the healings of scripture, and this is important to note, that Jesus healed people in different ways every time. Have you noticed that? Sometimes, and he said different things about their healing every time. In this case, it's so fascinating. This is someone that did not even seek out Jesus. We see from reading the whole story, he doesn't even know he's talking to Jesus. He's just talking to a dude on the street by the pool. Jesus came to him. Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Jesus didn't even respond to his excuses and just told him to get up and walk, and he did. That's incredible. There were other times Jesus did even wilder things. He spit in the dirt and made mud and put it on someone. He sometimes talked about their faith. He sometimes talked about sins of the past. He sometimes said this person was given this so that they could be healed, and then God would be glorified. Point being, there is no formula for healing. That's a good takeaway. Humans love to take it and codify it and be like, okay, this is exactly what I need to do. Let me go tell someone, get up your mat and walk. Formula. There is no formula for this. God is sovereign. We respond by faith regardless of what God does. And so I wanted to say in the middle of this message, number three, the answer to your prayers may be different than what you expect. And in the context of talking about healing and wholeness and wellness, let me just say it this way. When you say yes to wanting to be whole to God and he starts to answer that prayer, be ready for your life to look different than you thought it maybe should look. Wholeness for you might be different than what you actually wanted to be doing or where you wanted to be. And if we really are disciples of Jesus, we're gonna be open to that. Rather than just praying about what we want God to do for us, we pray and say, God, what do you wanna do in me to make me whole? What do you wanna do in my marriage and my family to make me whole? Everything's on the table. I tried, it didn't work. God, what do I need to do, right? Anybody? Then we see a little shift. So the guy's healed, amazing. Verse nine, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, 
It's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. That's a sad verse to me right there. The Jewish spiritual leaders of the age, after someone who'd been an invalid for 38 years, miraculously got healed, they saw him carrying his mat, living out the miracle. And their first response is, it's the Sabbath, put that down. They immediately try to police this guy. He doesn't even know what happened to him. He doesn't even know he encountered God. He has no idea what's going on. The context, just to help us understand it, in the Jewish law, uh, it was forbidden to carry any burden on the Sabbath, which at this time would have been Saturdays. And what you ended up with was Jewish leaders that added dozens and dozens, actually hundreds and hundreds of their interpretations to the law, over 600 of them. And they defined burden to include carrying a mat. So they're not enforcing the actual law of Moses. They're enforcing their interpretation of it. I like this definition of legalism, which is what they're um, kind of uh, embodying here from a scholar, Paul B. He said, legalism is the obsession or preoccupation with irrelevant details. So may we, may we be a people and be followers of Jesus that, especially when people are first meeting Jesus, that we're not going to immediately police them with irrelevant details. We're going to teach them to get into the life of Jesus and get into his word. A good example is um, lots of people meet Jesus that have addiction to smoking cigarettes. Less and less because our culture has changed around that. And I had a guy mentor me once when I was in Bible college uh, who was a pastor and who was, you know, a drug addict and all this before he was a Christian, addicted to cigarettes. And one of the things he would always talk about, he was like, I'm so thankful that when I met Jesus that the first Christians I met didn't make a huge deal about me immediately dropping the cigarettes as being the whole thing. Because he said, I would have been discipled into thinking that following Jesus is just about not doing all these things rather than getting into the presence of Jesus, getting into the word of God and allowing God to change me and transform my heart and my mind, which is eventually going to come out of my actual life, right? It's crazy to think this story is the example of the human nature to be legalistic. And we're, we can't assume that we're different than this. Like we must be a church family that when people get saved, you have things externally that we're concerned about. Let's not make that our first concern. Let's lead them in to a relationship with Jesus Christ. It, gets even, uh, it goes even deeper as far as how they are policing because the man replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. That's why I'm carrying it. So they asked him, who is the man? They immediately get concerned. Who is this fellow who told you to do this? That's why they attacked Jesus so hard, because he threatened their interpretation of the law. And here's a principle for you, and this is just kind of a side note in this sermon. But number four, legalism, meaning excessive obsession with irrelevant details, removes our God-given sense of compassion. If you find yourself not offering compassion to people in the real world, you might be sliding into legalism. If we are truly changed by God, we are going to have compassion for the people that do not know God. We're going to love them. We're going to care. We're going to speak to them. We're going to befriend them. And yes, they're probably going to eventually stop smoking just to follow that little thread. Uh, but it's not going to be because the moment they meet Jesus, you say, now you better stop that or you can't be a Christian. Stop breaking the law. Which, by the way, smoking, we don't like to admit this, it's debatable. It doesn't say in scripture, do not smoke, you're gonna go to hell. 
I understand the argument, take care of your temple. I understand, you know, there's other people that say, I know Christians that smoke, and I'm not all over them about it, and I think eventually they would probably stop. I need to be careful here. I'm not trying to make a debate about smoking and whether it's sin or not. I'm just saying it is the same as the Jewish leaders interpreting the law and turning it into a policeable issue. Do you get what I'm saying? It's not in the text. It is not there. There were no cigarettes. So we cannot act like this is the most important thing about this person's discipleship. Again, it'll come up. We'll get there. I think it'll probably eventually fall off for most of them, but I'm using it really metaphorical to help us try to think through, man, we place a lot of burdens on people that are based on our interpretation of the law, and we push them away from God. So we don't want to be like the leaders we see in this story. Then the man responds, the man who, or, or it says about the story in verse 13, the man who was healed had no idea who it was for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. And then that part of the story is over. In verse 14, later, Jesus found him at the temple and said, see, you are well again. And then Jesus says the caution portion of this, and this is where we're going to end. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Then the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Not your mushy-gushy Jesus there. His final words to the dude that he just healed was, stop sinning or something worse might happen. What? What do you mean stop? What sin? What worse is going to happen? This is the truth and love part. Jesus loved this man with the love of the living God. So he compassionately healed him, and then he gave him this incredible caution, which I have, have to believe, that the Holy Spirit quickened inside of this man for the rest of his life to help him understand exactly what Jesus was talking about. And it's interesting for us to look at, because again, to look at healings throughout Scripture, we do not see any consistent thread in Scripture, and I believe this is spiritual ab abuse, that says all sickness is the result of sin right? It's just not there in scripture. But you can see where someone could read that into this text. We also see stories where sickness is the result of sin in scripture. We see stories, as I mentioned earlier, where sickness and healing is there just to glorify God. We see stories where there's no apparent rhyme or reason to sickness or healing. And here's, I believe, the takeaway that we should hold on to here. Jesus is not saying that he was sick because of his sin. He's saying that sin will lead to things even worse than not being able to walk. He's giving him a glimpse into the severity of sin and how it separates us from God. I like this Charles Spurgeon quote, sin always ruins where it reigns. And when we as followers of Jesus give into that sin, for the moment that we're giving into it, we're allowing it to reign. If I give in to my anger and temper, and start to sin in that, sin in that moment is reigning in me. Now, I'm still saved. I'm covered by Jesus, but I am sinning and making a mistake as a father of Jesus. And so the closing question today is, is there any specific sin that you need to stop before something worse happens? It's a heavy confrontational word, but it comes from Jesus. Let's quickly, before we close, and then we'll, we'll worship, we'll respond together. What is the something worse based on the biblical understanding here? When you study scripture, a principle you'll learn if you, if you go to Bible college or try to you know, get deeper into it is that you must interpret scripture with scripture. You can never take one story or one thing 
out of context and make an entire theology about that. If we made an entire theology about this one story, we would think all sickness is just a result of sin specifically in their life. And let me clarify, the core of all sickness is the result of sin, Adam and Eve's, right? So we are in a fallen world because of sin, so there is that. But I'm talking about the spiritual abuse where a minister might go into a hospital and you have this because you're unrepentant, right? That can be very dangerous ground. So, but if you were making a theology based on just this story, you could possibly see that. But you must look at the whole of Scripture to interpret Scripture. Are you still with me? I know we're getting into some of the minutiae here, but we're going to close in just a minute. But the something worse based on Scripture is this, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's the something worse. Death. And not just the physical death of our body, but the scripture talks about it as a second death. Separation from God, second death. It's what we refer to as hell in scripture. So you die, but you have a second death, no life. That is the wages of sin. That's worse than being disabled for 38 years. Then he says in the same breath in Romans, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the gift of God can only be received. Think about it. It calls it a gift. Look at the comparison here. What do you do to get a wage? You earn it. So when, you are, when we live in just sin and we don't call on Jesus our Savior, we are earning death. That's life apart from Christ. But to receive salvation, eternal life, it doesn't refer to it as a wage. What does it refer to it as? A gift. How do you get a gift? Say yes. Okay. Open your hand out. Take it. Open it. We just passed Christmas. How terrible would us, we be as parents and grandparents if we said, here's your gift, but you're going to pay for that, buddy. <laughs> That's parental abuse. <laughs> it's not the gospel. So just the closing thoughts here are open the gift of eternal life today. If you haven't yet for the first time, open it for the first time. If you've opened it many times in your life, say yes to it again. And in the same exact prayer, say, God, search me and know me. And is there sin in me that is going to lead to brokenness in my life that I do not want? Because even if you're under the umbrella of salvation, you know this as well as I do, you can make bad choices and sin. And guess what? That sin, it might not result in eternal death because you're saved, you're under the covering, you're gonna respond, you've responded to God, but it can still lead to the consequence of sin in your life now. Have you noticed that? Sin will break your relationships. Sin will hurt your family. Sin will hurt your loved ones. Sin will destroy your business. The best business practice in the world is complete integrity and the way of Jesus. The best marriage advice in the world is follow the way of Jesus. The best parenting advice is live with complete integrity and follow Jesus. Repent of sin. So make it a daily, hourly process. Repent of sin. And today, I I believe God may be reminding you in a compassionate way as your healer that there's sin in your life that you should deal with. Because if you don't, you're going to end up in consequences from that sin. So the way that I always pray is, God, what are you saying to me and what are you calling me to do about it? And that is our prayer today, Lord. We thank you for your word to us as the worship team comes. We, we thank you that you are a compassionate God who sees us and has compassion, but we thank you that you love us enough to tell us the hard word about sin and about truth. And I pray that each person here can receive that and say yes 
and come to you with repentance, with hope. For those that have felt hopeless about their life being well or being what you intended it to be in a complete sense, I pray that you'll destroy that lie in their mind and that they'll rise up in hope and faith once again or maybe even for the first time. And Lord, as we respond, we make an altar in our heart, at our seat. And church, these altars are open as well. We're gonna sing this song and then I'm gonna close us in a word of prayer. Church, I'm gonna pray this benediction and we'll be dismissed. The most specific action step when dealing with this kind of stuff is confession. And I just wanna encourage you It is the fight for your life to confess or not. You must find someone to confess to. Find someone in our church. You can talk to me. Find a family member that knows and loves Jesus and confess your sin. You will fight it with all your life, but it is the best thing you can do for yourself. You are the only one who can initiate it, and it is a part of you walking in wholeness. Go confident in the knowledge of God's steadfast love for you, assured of the healing touch of Jesus upon you and emboldened by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit within you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Love you guys very much. Say hi to someone you don't know. See you next week.